Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O C-O. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Increase the Reality with Shane Jones. What is up, Inquirers, and welcome back to the always intriguing Inquiries of Our Reality. Now, a lot of people out there believe in the possibility of Sasquatch, but they've never seen them, they don't know for sure, and belief is simply a system that's based off of the possibility of something existing. But the guests that I have on today, they've had enough experiences and they've seen enough weird stuff out there that they don't just believe in Sasquatch, they know Squatch. And we're already planning a part two for this one because we couldn't even begin to cover all of the awesome stories that these two have collected while out in the field. So I don't want to keep you guys too long. I think you guys are thoroughly going to enjoy this interview. But before we get into that, I have the same announcement that I did last week, but I'm going to keep talking about it until it's the day of the event because I really want to see you guys there. I'm going to be vending and doing a live broadcast at the Snarly U Presents Cryptid Halloween 2. Uh, It's going to be a free event. It's October 28th from 12 to 6 p.m. And it's going to be located at the American Legion in Charlestown, uh, West Virginia. And uh, like I said, this is going to be my first event doing a live broadcast slash speaking at this event. And Oren from Bizarre Encounters, he should also be there. We should be knocking this one out as a team. Uh, But I'd love to see your guys' faces there. Uh, Make me a little bit more comfortable considering this is going to be my first public speaking event. I'd love to see some familiar faces there. So if anybody's able to make it out, I would definitely appreciate it. If not, I'm sure that you guys will end up listening to it as an episode. But again, I'd love to be able to actually see you guys there. If you guys want some more information on that, I will be adding some information on that down in the show description. Uh, Also be adding a link to check out uh, Snarly U's Instagram, which of course will probably have some more information on the event as it gets even closer to the event and he promotes who else is going to be there, of course. And as far as front of the house stuff goes, if you guys haven't left a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify, I would definitely appreciate it. Uh, If you guys leave a five-star review on iTunes and leave a nice 
review with it that I can read on the show. I would definitely love to do that. Uh, it's been a hot minute since I've gotten one, so I definitely would appreciate it. And uh, of course, all the Spotify people out there, love you just as much. Uh, all those five-star reviews are going to make it so that more people are able to see the show. Uh, it's going to keep helping the show grow. It's going to help the algorithms out. So anything you guys can do, uh, please do, because it's more appreciated than you guys will ever know. And uh, if you guys aren't already following the show on social media, if you want to get updates on anything new going on with the show uh, as it gets closer to this event, I was just talking about I'll have more information on there for that or any other future events, uh, new merch drops, literally anything. If you want to get the 411 on the show, uh, definitely follow on Instagram. That's the main one that I post on. Uh, I do have a Facebook set up for the show, but everything gets trickled off of the Instagram from there. Uh, if you guys want to hop into some chat rooms, have some awesome conversation with some like-minded individuals, you guys can always check out the Discord or the Telegram. Uh, the telegram is not as active as the discord, the discords, the pride and joy. So we're trying to build that one up, make a more active community, uh, get one-on-one -on -one with you guys, uh, hopefully be doing some more stuff in the future as far as possibly doing some meetups, um, maybe even throwing in some other stuff that we can all do together, uh, as far as like hangouts, um, sharing stories for like Halloween, uh, there's a lot of cool stuff we want to do, but in order for that to happen, you guys have to pop in, make it so that we can build up this community and don't be discouraged to talk because I want to hear everything you guys have to say. So pop on in, start having some conversations, drop some theories, some thoughts, some ideas, all that fun stuff, but it'll never happen unless you guys pop into the discord specifically, or you guys can always, like I said, pop into the telegram. And if you guys want to share the show or you guys want to see any of the new video stuff I'm starting to try to get into a little bit, you guys can always check out the YouTube or the TikTok. Um, as far as sharing the show goes, I usually do clips of the show over there. So, you know, rather than sharing a two hour interview with somebody, uh, you guys can share a couple minutes of a point of interest to the show with a thought provoking question posed with it. And uh, those are quick and easy to share. I post the same thing on YouTube as I do on TikTok, but extending into the future, um, I should be working on some more projects, some possible documentaries, um, different things that I'm out and about doing, such as the squatch hikes I go on, paranormal investigations, all that type of stuff will be up on the YouTube and the TikTok. So make sure you guys uh, click the button, give it a subscribe over there on either YouTube or TikTok or both, preferably both. That'd be really cool. And uh, if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show, whether you're a researcher, you're an author, you're a contactee, you're an experiencer, uh, you're an occultist, you're a whistleblower, you're an open-minded individual in some way, shape, or form, or you got something that you want to sit down and discuss deeply, or you guys want to share your research, I'd love to do that. Uh, send me a message. Let me know that you guys are interested in that. You guys can always shoot me a message on Instagram, or you guys can email me at inquiriesallrealitypodcast.outlook.com. Or you can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email, of course. And I do respond to every single message I get. So you make sure you guys check your spam or drunk folders, make sure nothing gets pushed there. Because of course, I do run a podcast. I send out a lot of links. It's bound to push that way. It's going to happen. So make sure nothing gets missed in the process. And uh, you guys hear me talk about it on every single show. But if you haven't already checked out Bizarre Encounters, Highly recommend that you do. If you guys enjoyed this show, I definitely think you guys are going to enjoy that show too. Uh, I do have my awesome co-host over there, Oren, and uh, we deep dive into some stuff. We have some laughs along the way, um, has some serious points. We drop some weird theories and stuff, but like I said, we make jokes. So make sure you uh, are around the right group of people if you're listening to that one, because sometimes you make some dirty jokes, but I uh, definitely think that you guys will enjoy that if, like I said, you guys aren't already listening to that show. And uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on every single thing that I do, be it for Bizarre Encounters, Inquiries of All Reality, or any other future projects that I'm going to end up doing at some point, you guys can always follow the Open Minds Media Instagram, Facebook, anywhere that you go is find Open Minds Media. That's going to be your one-stop shop for everything all in one place. 
And uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. You guys can, uh, of course, become an awesome Patreon member. And over there, you'll get things such as ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, lives of episodes, live replays of episodes, exclusive merch store discounts, and anything else that I decide to expand onto in the future over there. Always willing to take suggestions. So if there's anything you guys want to see as far as the Patreon goes, uh, just shoot me a message. Let me know. I can coordinate it, work it out. And over there, it's the Open Minds Media Patreon. So you don't just get inquiries, you also get Bizarre Encounters. So a little bit more bang for your buck, of course. And uh, if you guys want to donate to the show directly to make it so that I can go to more events, get to meet you guys one-on-one, all of that, of course, gets thrown right back into the show to continue to help the show grow. It doesn't line my pockets or anything. So it's all going towards anything that needs to be done for the show. And my main focus currently right now is being able to make it out to more events, make it so that I can meet more of you guys, get some new pockets of listeners. So anything you guys want to contribute is always appreciated with that. Uh, You guys can do so through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And leave some kind of personalized message. If it doesn't give you that option, shoot me a message. Let me know what you guys donated because as I always say, I want to make sure appreciation is given where appreciation is due. And any of that, always appreciated. Like I said, makes it a little bit easier for me to be able to go out and do some stuff. And, uh, you guys can also go and buy yourself some awesome merchandise from the open minds media merch store. Uh, there you'll find increase of our reality stuff, bizarre encounter stuff, and any of the new crypto designs that I'm going to start working on and posting up over there. Uh, we do have the anime squatch design for increase of our reality. If you guys want to go check that out, if you haven't already, uh, it's one of my favorite designs I've ever made. Hopefully some of you guys like it too. I've only sold a couple of those, so I definitely want to make sure that I promote it a little bit more, let you guys know that that's over there. And uh, if you're also a Bizarre Encounters listener, I do have the Stay Bizarre uh, Bizarre Encounters design. That one seems to be pretty popular. A lot of people like that. So if you haven't seen that, at least get some eyes on it. Check it out. Let me know what you guys think. And uh, if you guys want to continue to support, uh, I guess, I don't want to say small businesses, but in a way, kind of like a small business. I guess a podcast in a way is kind of conducted that way. Uh, make sure you guys also are active in communities. Make sure you guys give responses to things. Um, just support all of the little small creators that you guys like, no matter what. Not even just this show, but you know, I've seen a lot of podcasters. I've seen a lot of small businesses uh, come and go in the process of me just running my show. And you know, the saving factor may have just simply been somebody sending a message saying that they love the show. Because um, half the time, you know, we see the numbers and stuff, but we don't necessarily know your guys' faces. We don't know how you guys are receiving all the stuff that we do. So let everybody know. It might be, like I said, the saving factor that makes it so that some of these uh, podcasters or small businesses actually stick around. And uh, while we're talking about supporting small businesses, don't forget to go and check out Joe over there, Crypto Theology. Always constantly killing it with all these awesome, awesome crypto designs. I swear at this point, 90% of my wardrobe is crypto theology. And I'm not saying that because this is a paid advertisement, because that's not the case whatsoever. Uh, We both thoroughly enjoy each other's work. So we try to help each other out as much as possible. And in the process of it, like I said, I just love crypto theology. I love all the designs. That's how the whole thing started in the first place was because I started digging through the Instagram, saw all of his awesome stuff. And then I actually asked him, I was like, hey man, do you want to uh, have me talk about crypto theology on my show just because I really like your design so much. And off of that, it ended up forming a friendship. So make sure you guys give some love over there to Joe because he's do- he's killing it over there. He's he's one of the best as far as I'm concerned when it comes to all of these awesome cryptid merchandise designs. And uh, everything that I mentioned, of course, is all available under the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show.
please welcome to the show Sasquatch researchers from I Know Squatch, Rick and Hans. How's it going today, guys? Good. Yourself, Shane? Good. Not too bad. Absolute pleasure to have you guys on the show. It's been a while. Uh, you guys were on the Bizarre Encounter side a while ago, but it's nice to have you guys one-on-one on this show for the first time. Oh, glad to be here, Shane. Good to talk with you again. So uh, I guess a good place to start for anybody that may not be familiar with I Know Squatch, even though for all the video uh, viewers for, that watch the show, they see me wearing the I Know Squatch hats all the time. But for anybody that might not be familiar with who you guys are, or what you do, why don't you let them know a little bit about your guys selves? Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, so um, I Know Squatch, we are, uh, so, you know, we we sell merchandise out at shows. Uh, I present at shows. We get out and uh, so we're online as a merchant. We're uh, yeah, kind of known for coming up with unique and um, original designs that depict uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot, really, in a way a lot of witnesses encounter it. And, um, you know, very dedicated to it. We've got, a, um, we've got for ourselves a number of uh, protected images and uh, sayings, things that, you know, we use the word whoop a lot because that's something that uh, Bigfoot says. Um you know, we, we represent folks that know it's real as opposed to, you know, the, the masses out there that are always saying, believe, 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 you know, that kind of thing. So uh, we're beyond that. And we can, re, you know, rely on, look back historically at our research efforts and some of our time together. And actually, the origins of I Know Squatch came from Hans and I out on an expedition once, Bigfoot expedition, DFRO, years ago. Um, and, you know, we said, you know, the, really need to segment and break this out with some originality into a group that knows it's for real. And we know it's real. We've had encounters. So um, that's kind of a little bit about what we're all about. Go ahead, Hans, jump in. Yeah, we uh, we got into this because we uh, both had a passion for Squatch, you know, for Bigfoot. Um, so we got into it that way. And then just uh, both of our skill sets uh, lent it itself to starting a brand and, you know, let us further enjoy, you know, the subject. And, and we had a lot of ideas that we wanted that we thought, eh, we can maybe improve uh, products in the marketplace. Right. So uh, I guess to throw it in there too, uh, what are some of your guys' favorite designs or most popular designs for anybody that might kind of know the name, but maybe they've seen the images, but don't really know firsthand what they, what exactly you guys are doing over there. The, uh, go ahead, uh, Hans. um, I would say that our strider, which is the Sasquatch running is that one is, is my favorite. Um, the other one was our original peeper where he is looking around a tree uh, and that was that was our original very very first idea that we did because there's a lot of reports uh, of that you know from eyewitnesses. Um, but you know we constantly try to come up with uh, new ideas. Um, we're gonna we're we're doing a Crypticon this year that's in November, right? Yeah, usually yep. it's November. Yes. Uh- yeah, yeah. We're yeah, talking. We have, um, we're talking about doing a new, uh, a, a brand new design drop for that show. It's in. It's in the right. works. So, um, 
that's what I got. Yeah. You guys will have yeah, to make well, sure you guys I, save so me I, one because uh, I'm definitely going to be down at CryptoCon. Uh, I'm going to have to scoop one because I got a bunch of your guys' right. gear already. So yeah, you already got one large T-shirt no sold. <laughs> well, we'll, yeah, we'll no. give you one, Shane. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get you one. You've been a very loyal uh, stalwart for the brand. But uh, to Hans's point, uh, you know, we thought there's a lot of that uh, two-dimensional black silhouette of you know, Bigfoot walking sideways. It's been overdone a thousand times. It's just clip art online. And there's even other ones where they're doing, you know, if it isn't giving you the finger, it's doing, you know, the uh, Hawaii sign, you know, with its hands, Aloha. And so it's just people, I think, denigrated or kind of treated goofy. We treat it kind of like, you know, the good, I think a good thing Hans said was, you know, and I'm a BFRO investigator, Hans, too, associated with the BFRO, look into a lot of cases, get to talk to witnesses, a lot of times hunters and things. And can't tell you how many times we've had a hunter say they saw one of these things peeking around a tree at them. You know, they're great. Bigfoots behaviorally are terrific observers. And so we depict that in one of our images. And uh, we just thought we could do the strider a better, better way than just, you know, the black silhouette that's out there. And it's been very popular for us. So, um, you know, our getting back to, you know, our depictions, our, our original artwork, our, um, you know, we, way we bring it to market, we try to really do some things that are different than uh, everything that's out there. And so, but it's based on experience. You know, we've got experiences with this. We live the life. We, uh, you know, contrary to a lot of merchants out there, uh, we get out in the woods and lots of expeditions um, over the last, for me, it's been the last 12, 13 years. Uh, just as quickly on the shows, uh, we'll be, and I, I get to, unfortunately, I get to go to a lot of shows and speak a lot of times about uh, this topic, but uh, uh, October 21 and 22, we'll be in uh, Upper Cumberland Bigfoot Festival, Crossville, Tennessee. On uh, 10, 13, and 14, actually a week before that, uh, we'll be in uh, South Carolina for the South Carolina Bigfoot Festival. That's in Westminster. And Crypticon is November 17th, 18th, 19th, and that's in... Uh, Lexington, Kentucky. We'll be at that. So we got three more shows coming up over the next couple of months. Sounds like you guys are staying busy over there. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the shows slow down a little bit over the summer. Some of the expeditions and get outs and things slow down a little bit. I got another big expedition coming up in November too, and that's uh, North Central Tennessee. And I'm working on another one in December. But uh, really, the winter, spring, and fall months are more active with expeditions and things getting out in the woods. And the shows too, um, you know, they slow down a little bit in July, August, and they pop back up. And I think some of that's weather related. I know expedition wise, I'm in Western North Carolina, but I don't get out in the woods too, too much in the summer. And that's a big snake thing. I mean, we have snakes all over the stick of place. Mm. So, you know, we gotta be careful with that walking around the woods and the hot weather at night and everything. Yeah, I don't want to step on them. I mean, assumably too, I feel like Sasquatch would be a little bit more active during like the fall or winter months versus like the summer months, because like a lot of animals, they're going to spend a lot of time resting during the summer, especially with all the hair, it's going to be hot. So, I mean, you know, maybe they're going to be in some kind of, if they are creating like uh, grass structures or anything like that, that they hide in, they're going to be a lot more in those, but at least during the fall and winter months, you know, there's probably a lot more of a chance that you're actually going to come across one because they're going to be trying to look for food. They're going to be scavenging and they're just going to be moving around more in general because they're going to be a little bit more comfortable. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. Yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead. Huff. No, I was, I was just agreeing with what Shane had said about the heat and, you know, 
the the massive size covered in fur, you know, would generate a lot of heat. And you would think they would just lay low. Yeah, I so my and talking about behavior on them, I could talk about Sasquatch behavior all night, but I th- I think in the hotter climates they're they slow down during the day. I, I don't think they're as active. They're very act- they're more active at night when it's cooler and they can move around. And uh, I think you know that that's when they move. So uh, um, at least we see that. Uh, you know, I've got a cu- couple of habituation sites. I stay in touch with people have them on their property, and they seem in the summer they move out and they're coming back now. They're not around as much on these properties in the summer, but they're coming back, right? I'm getting constant updates from these folks lately. They're coming back and more than one in a big way. They're around. So I don't know where they go when it's hot, but they, it seems like they move more at night and they move more as the climate, you know, gets more pleasant fall and spring. At least from like your observation, do you feel that they might be more like nocturnal or do you think it's one of those things like uh, not not trying to necessarily call them an animal like that? But do you think it might be one of those things almost like a cat where they kind of just sleep in periods throughout the day where they're not necessarily nocturnal, but they just kind of nap in short bursts. They're just kind of awake every four hours kind of a thing. Like what have you kind of put together as far as that? Uh well, I'll take a stab at it and Hans and jump in. And I didn't need these questions. These are good questions, Shane. You know, we'll jump in, both give you kind of our thoughts on it because I'm interested in it. I, th- I think they, um, there's never one of them. So I think they're always in groups. Uh, at least that's my experience. You know, uh, when they're knocking or making whoop or whistle noises, it's not for us. They're making it for each other. And uh, it, so there's a lot of times a sentry or a watch, squatch, if you will, that's kind of watching a trail or an intersection of trails or an area uh, where people are. Um, the others could be bedded down. They could be relaxing then while that one's watching. At night, that seems to go away. At night, they seem to move around. They're in a group, you know, they, they'll, they're very military. They'll go in circles around you and they'll deploy so they can watch you from different angles and stuff. So if they're around, you know, there's never one. You got to remember that. So you know, sleep four hours at a time, catnap, that could be possible. You know, I, they're great observers. And I think they have one eye open all the time. Do you think it might be one of those things too, where when it comes to food, I mean, assumably they're omnivores, they're going to be eating meat and they're going to be eating vegetation. But do you think that they use the night cover as an advantage for them to possibly be able to catch food a little bit easier? Maybe that's kind of why they move around more at night during a pack is for hunting sake. Yeah, I would say yes. Um, yeah, you know, every, everything that it, we, we talk about when it comes to Sasquatch and Bigfoot, um, a lot of it is like what we think. I mean, because, there's, you know, there's no true expert on the subject. So if I was going to say, you know, if I was asked, uh, you know, do they – you know, do they hunt at night? Are they nocturnal? I would say, well, yeah. Uh, from the eye glow that we've witnessed, um, you would think there's a reason for that. You know, kind of like an owl. An owl is a predator at night because of its vision and its stealth. Right. Well, mm-hmm. you would think, okay, same thing with Squatch. Yeah. Yeah, I th- you know, that's a that's a very good point. I mean, so his point, getting to what we do see that, you know, we've seen eye glow, eye shine. I, I don't get hung up in the 
what it's called, but it's there. And as to Hans's point, if they're equipped for that, you know, it's got a purpose. They can see at night or signal each other with the shine or the glow of the eyes. That's nocturnal adaptation, right? So that fascinates me. So why do they have that? If it helps them do what they want to do at night, get around stealth at night, then they're, they're definitely equipped for it. So his point is, is valid. I wonder if they're one of those animals that kind of have abilities for daytime and nighttime where they're able to kind of just be around whenever they need to be around. And maybe they look for more of like vegetation during the day where they can be a little bit more laid back. And then they intend on doing the hunting at night when they can use like the dark as cover. And they can also use their vision to be able to catch, sneak up on stuff and catch stuff at night. Right. That makes, it's that possible. Makes I think I mean, it makes, makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I guess we've kind of danced around it a little bit, but I definitely got to touch some of your guys' ex- experiences. So, I mean, at least coming from like at least the first one together that you guys had that started the formation of I Know Squatch, um, I'd love to hear about some of these experiences that you guys have had because, you know, like you guys said, there's not necessarily an expert on the subject. So, you know, we can create theories all day, but we got to talk about some of the Squatch stuff that you guys do know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one. Um, I think I, I, on your last program when we were on, I, I think I had mentioned that, you know, I really only like to speak on what I've experienced. So, you know, the, the eye shine or eye glow, however you want to call it, I have experienced that. Um, so, you know, I can talk about it. I can talk about whoops or I can talk about wood knocks. And, um, but when it, when it starts stepping out towards the woo side or the paranormal, I've never experienced any of that. You know, would I like to? Yeah. But so I I can't really touch on that. Um, But you wanted to want to hear of some of the different stories. Um, One that we did not talk about with you, um, the really good one, we can get into that one too, where we came up with the brand name and stuff. But one that uh, we didn't talk to you with was in, uh, it was in Iowa. And, you know, when, if you're from the Midwest, you think of Iowa and you think of, oh, it's just cornfields. Well, the northeast part of the state is all uh, driftless. It's like, you know, around the Mississippi River and stuff. It's the the driftless area, which is, you know, the the glacier didn't hit. So there's hills and valleys and bluffs. Uh, We were in part that area of Iowa. Um, Rick, if uh, if you ever want to jump in, because this was an experience (laughs) that Rick and I shared with with another guy with, yeah, with another guy as well. And we were on a, like an official BFRO expedition and there was, oh gosh, they think there was like 40, 45 people on that expedition. That's a huge expedition. Um, (laughs) It it really, it it is. Um, And then when you break out to go out at night, you know, you break into six or seven groups. Some people, you know, some people go on these, and they don't want to go out at night. Um, they're happy just to sit around the camp and sit around the fire and, you know, 
tell stories and, you know, whatever, which is great, you know. Uh, so we went out in a group. So Rick and I, and I'm, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Um, and he was, yeah, he only went time. on a one with us. Yeah. It was first time when he was, was ex military. He went with us on a one and we never saw the guy again, but we had kind <laughs> of a harrowing encounter with him. <laughs> I don't know. I've never kept up. I don't know whatever happened to the guy, but Hans and I and him took off and went on our own. Sounds was, like he yeah, was just his, done after that. You guys, you must have had a big enough experience that he was like, "All right, I believe I'm done." <laughs> I don't believe. I know actually. <laughs> yeah, he knows yeah, exactly. He came back. Oh, to he me. knew. His name was his name was Glenn. Real good guy. Glenn. Uh, was, yeah. yeah. The three of us uh, took Rick's truck and drove over to the a bottom of a bluff, and so you know you go out in the daytime and kind of scout and, and pick spots, locations to put different groups or to pick different trails to walk or whatever. The one we picked parked below a bluff, walked up a road, got to the top of a hill and there, you know, then that's, that's the woods. And there's a, a gate that kind of blocked the trail to get in. And we, we sat there <clears throat> for a couple hours with really nothing happening, which is like a lot of the times, you know, you're just out in the woods and you're just talking to each other and, you know, making a little bit of noise to make yourself known that you're there and whatever. <clears throat> we uh, knew that there was a group about a half a mile away. Uh, so we said, let, let's walk down there and talk to them, see if they've experienced anything. Walk down to them, uh, talk to them, you know, and they were kind of set up. At, at a dead end in chairs that they had brought with them. And they were just sitting there hanging out talking and they hadn't experienced anything. So we're like, Oh, let's go back up to where we were. When we got back to where we were, we said, okay, let's, let's cross over this gate and, and walk into the woods. And this was an area. Yeah, it was, uh, if I, that, yeah, let me just jump. It was, it was, uh, it was a uh, red. So the, in the woods, when you're in, Around parks and in uh, state or national forests, you get these red forest gates that you know that, that are put up. And this was this was across an area that, and quite often we'll cross these. You're not supposed to take vehicles or go back in. And well, at night we'll cross them and go back into places where people aren't going because, well, you have a better chance maybe having an encounter mm -hmm. or an experience in places where people aren't going during the day. So that's why we went back to. We said, "Well, we're going to cross it and go back in there." <laughs> go ahead. Uh, so we did. Okay. Yeah. So we hadn't been there to th this particular spot in the woods during the day. So we really right. didn't know what the terrain. So when we walked in, we stopped and it's dark. So you really can't see anything. Well, and it was Nothing. an opening. So you're on a trail and then boom, there's an opening. So it looked like you're on the top of a ridge. How, how tall that ridge was. Yeah, who knows? Whatever. So we're we're standing there, and then we're, again we're there for like an hour and uh, making our noises, you know, not normal noises like we're just talking, now, you know. And then I think Glenn said, you know, can we do a call? And um, we we're like, sure, new guy, why don't you try? And Glenn did a did a whoop. And 
it was within, I would say, 30 seconds of him getting done. And we're, you know, when you do a whoop in the woods, in the woods, everyone's quiet, you know, you're just waiting for any kind of response, whether it's movement or vocals or whatever. And we had a return whoop. And what was cool about the situation is that there was no trees in front of us. So you know how sound waves carry and when they're carrying through the woods and they're hitting trees, they get all broken up and it, it, it's almost like a baffle. Well, in front of us where these whoop came from, it was just wide open. So it carried and it was, it was so distinct and clear and it was loud and it went, there was a whoop. And then within five seconds, another one, but it was, uh, 20 yards closer and then another one 20 yards closer. So the whoop went from 50 yards to 20 yards to what it was like. We thought it was 10, 15 yards in front of us. Right. In front front of of us. us. Yeah. So uh, sound. Yes. I know it was, it was, it was loud. Yes. Yeah. Lot. So it, so when Glenn made this whoop, he kind of so like Han said, we were standing there. It was dark. We hadn't been in this area, and there was there was lower brush, but there wasn't heavy trees in front of us. We we're walking, but it, we kind of stopped because we, you know, we got to. We were like, we don't know where we're going, and we don't want to fall down a ravine or something. So we stopped, and he says, "I'm going to do a whoop." And it was a half scream, half whoop. It was just he just did some loud, annoying kind of thing. You know, those of us that have done this a while kind of know what a whistle or whoop sounds like. Not that it's perfect science, but he just blasted this thing out. And like Han said, quickly, we had a return directly in front of us, uh, which we went back the next day, looked at the area, and it was kind of a path through brush. But I'm with Hans. It was 50, 75 yards at the most in front of us, and it was screaming at us. And like a female scream. So it wasn't friendly. It was uh, a bit blood-curdling. And then the second one was 20, 30 yards closer. The third one was another 20 yards, 30 yards closer. It was right in front of us. And I was ahead of these two guys by a step or two. And I'm, I thought that third one was melting my ears and my face. It was so stinking close. But it was screaming at us. Do you think that it was multiple squatches or do you think it was the same one coming closer if you just had to make an educated guess? We have debated that. And, you know... We had, you know, debated on, okay, was it, was it a, you know, was it female? Was it three females? Was it a, a breeding area? Right. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a theory. Sure. Or was it a, a solitary female that was pissed and was right. just moving real fast, <clears throat> but making no noise? which is like you would think if something was moving that fast, it would be crashing, you know, like a moose right. or something, but no, yep. um, and we're not even to the good part yet. <laughs> well, which is let me, crazy. So, well, uh, yeah, let me just jump in and just reinforce what Hans just said about female and why. So uh, you always go back the next day to an area where you had activity and you look for evidence. And uh, in this spot, I won't interrupt the other part of the story, Hans, but, you know, we, in this spot, we went back to the Red Gate 
went in there with a group next day, found tracks. So I still, we cast tracks. I have one of the tracks. Now I still, still have at my house, there's 13 and a half inches long. And we think that's female in that size. Okay. Cause you could scale this or scales on Bigfoot size, etc. You know, males are start usually start 17 inches, go up to like 24. I've seen them that long, but this thing is 13 and a half, about five and a half, six inches wide. And maybe that's female. That's in stature, a little smaller and footprint dimensions, a little smaller. The screams we heard sounded female. I don't know. It's a good debate. I don't know if it was one, two or three, or if it was one that was pissed off and had a, as he said, breeding area had a child and came right at us in response to what Glenn did. But that thing, you heard bipedal movement, your movement towards it was, it was coming at us and it wasn't a bluff charge. It was coming at us and letting it out, letting it out us full barrel. And I'm telling you, the third one, 20 yards in front of me, I, I thought my face was melting. I'm surprised that you guys didn't get a visual on this thing coming right out of the woods when it was that sounded like it was that close to you. Well, it was so dark I it, couldn't even see my hand. Yeah, I was gonna say the the darkness uh, would be was one thing, but we were on the top of a ridge, right? And these noises came from below, and we we couldn't see over the end of the bluff. And so we didn't know how tall this bluff was. When we went back the next day, we saw, oh, God, it was only 15, 20 feet down. It was like which a bowl. Is in the like dark. You know, yes. You don't know. And you're thinking, oh, dude, this is 50. This is, we're probably on a 75 foot, <laughs> you know. So you, right. you, you know, and, and, and it honestly, it was, it was really a dark night. So, yeah. This happened, and we're all like, holy shit. <laughs> and we kind of looked at each other, and, you know, we were kind of kind of frozen for like 30 seconds, a minute, minute and a half, and we we're like, what the hell do we do? And I think Rick and I looked at each other and said, we should leave. Yeah, retreat. You know, yeah. <laughs> You know, it was coming at us, and we're like, "Let's let's get out of the woods." So we we leave the woods, which is just backtracking, you know, a hundred yards or so to get back out to the to the gate, get around the gate, and get to the road. And we were we were moving kind of fast. I mean, we weren't running at this point, but we were moving, you know, uh, you're like, Oh yeah, let's get back. Well, <clears throat> we, we got, got to the road and then the road to get back to the truck. Cause we were going to leave. We, it was startling and it was like, Oh man, I've had enough. <laughs> and we had to get to the truck and where we were parked, the road wrapped down and around the ridge that we were on so and like a right angle these were yes so the three of us are walking uh you know three abreast kind of kind of quickly like walking hub whatever whatever and as we descended on the road and around these things or thing because it, it was dark uh paralleled us and then you could hear it paralleled us at that top of that ridge 
and you could hear movement up there. And we're kind of like, oh, looking at each other like, oh. And all of a sudden, this log gets thrown right at us. But it, it didn't like hit us and hit the road. But it was thrown from the top of the ridge to exactly where we were. I mean, if you say a tree falls in the, a tree falls in the woods, you're going to hear it, whatever. Well, it could be 50 yards in front of you, 100 yards to the side. No, this thing hit exactly as we were, were moving forward. It comes flying in. And when that crashed, we took off in a full sprint. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I would too. It was, it, was a, <laughs> it was a full sprint in the dark. To Rick's truck, <laughs> we, we get to the truck and we're yelling, open your doors, you know, and he's, he's fumbling for his keys. And I'm just thinking, oh, I am going to get just, I'm going to get taken away right now while he's fumbling with his keys. Well, he ends up getting his keys and it was a, a two door uh, FJ Toyota. So he opens the two doors and Glenn's got a fumble to get in the back seat, and I felt like I was left out there for an hour. <laughs> and I'm trying to go in, and we shut the door. And then once that door was shut, you know, I know Rick had said he thought a big rock was going to come crashing down on his I, I was sure. Brand new Toyota. And uh, so then we shut the doors. And I mean, from then it was just like we drove out of there and drove back to the campground and had a Freaking great story. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, uh, like you said, Hans said, there was the curious, a couple curious things about this. One is that they headed us off at the pass. So if there was one or more of them, in order for us to get from the red gate back to my truck, we had, you know, several hundred yards, but it was a right angle gravel road to get back and, you know, in the woods and above us, this is bluff on the left as we're going. So we're on the road. This thing is paralleling us from above on this cliff as all the way along and it, you can hear it. And it at one point it broke a tree up there. We could hear this shredding of a tree, which the next day we went back and from walking below, we could see it up there. Okay. So think like a, you know, four inch thick, three inch thick tree and it just snapped it right over. So it's still pissed. You know, that's what the screams are about. It confirms that, you know, stuff getting thrown at us. I was convinced as we got to my truck from up above, they were going to throw rocks or logs down on my truck. They're pissed. They or it was pissed but you know clearly not happy we were there didn't like that we yelled in its face that maybe the next day when we were casting the print it was above kind of a wet area swamp area and we were you know wondering if maybe that was a breeding area a lot of and i do think these things hang around swamps when they're with family or breeding especially to mothers this was in the spring this expedition i think the mothers are more they move around, they're more active in the spring, give birth, whatever. I think they're more active with that then. They're more protective. But I, clearly we pissed off what we think is a female or females. And they were smart enough to head us off the pass, knew where the truck was, stay above us, parallel us, and scared a snot out of us. And on the way back, I, I vividly remember this because, you know, we talked the whole zapping thing. And that is a bit of a – it's a physical – it's not comfortable feeling. You can say, I don't know how they do it. Is it paranormal? But both you and Glenn got the heebie-jeebies bad, you know, especially when that thing came, was thrown at us. Both of you guys were 
getting heat. I was, I was getting it too, but not as bad. I was just scared to death. My truck was going to get totaled getting out of there, but you know, we're getting, we're getting, if they want, if they're using the infrasound thing to make us feel freaked out, we were, we're definitely getting a fight or flight big time. I mean, that log for sure, though, I know they're trying to scare you guys away. Otherwise, I mean, people talk about how precise these things can throw stuff. And the fact that it threw it precise enough to just land right in front of you guys. I feel like at that point, it almost shows that as long as you get out of the area, you aren't necessarily in danger. Because if they wanted to hit you with that log, they would have for sure hit you guys dead on. <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding. Yes. Yeah. That, that, was, that was what was so, so interesting about it is it hit exactly where we were moving to. I mean, it, it didn't hit 10 feet behind us or 15 feet in front of it, us. It was exactly on us, but like 10 feet short of hitting us on the road. So you're just trying to tell you in their own way to move a little bit faster to get out of there. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, just on the subject of things being thrown, I think, you know, they might get back to what we were saying. Uh, if they, could, they could throw in the dark. They had the ability to see very well in the dark. They could hunt prey in the dark. They could throw rocks, logs, whatever, at prey. They can get it if they need to. I think they could hit us if they want to easily. You know, not to – I've had no, a number of encounters like that. I had one in British Columbia years ago with another guy. Uh, and we were coming out of woods. It was daytime. We had activity in these deep, dark rainforest type woods that were coming out to get to our ATVs. And out of the woods, this rock size of softball went whizzing by our heads. And, you know, he looked at me and said, what do I do now? I said, well, let's, if they, they wanted to kill you, they would have hit you right in the head with the darn thing. You, I mean, it was that close by both of our heads. And uh, I, I had another guy who's uh, from your area, uh, Kevin Wisnett, lives in Detroit area, Shane. And he uh, he's a BFRO. Um, guy to investigator. I was with him on an expedition to Smokies a couple years. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Years ago, and we had deployed three groups and had activity, and this log came flying out of the woods. And, I mean, it was it, we could, it was huge. It flying out of the woods and landed in the grass about 20 feet, 30 feet in front of us. But, I mean, I could two of us couldn't have picked the darn thing up. And this thing came flying out. If they wanted to hit us with stuff and hurt us, they would. You know, I think we're an inconvenience. We're a nuisance. We're pests. They like to observe us. But, you know, we show up in their areas in the middle of the night. And at some point they say, oh, the hell with this. You know? But, you know, if they wanted to take us out, they could. I mean, I heard this really, really good analogy for this. And I've said it a few times on the show just because I find it to be almost perfect. That humans, we observe animals we find them fascinating but you don't want them in your house so like if you have a rat in your house it's a perfect example <laughs> you know you're going to try to shoot away before you try to smash it but you're going to give it the, the go away first so i kind of get that impression from sasquatch is it's like almost like we're the rat in their house where they're going to try to shoot us away but all else feels you know all they got to do is chuck a rock hard enough and they know they can take you out in one hit and they're not going to have any problem <laughs> you know in the uh in the <coughs> 10 plus years that um, I've been doing this. That was the most uh, unnerved I've ever been. 
And I, I went back with these two other guys uh, just two years ago. We, w- we went back and parked in the same spot, walked up, walked to the gate. And, and this night was also just black. And we walked up and walked to the gate and the three of us, and these guys, of course, had heard the story. And we got to the gate with all the plans in the world of crossing it and then walking to the edge of the bluff. And we stopped. And I, I, and I said, I'm not going to go in there. And they were like, I'm not. <laughs> and we turned around. We turned That's around. Hilarious. Yes. We turned, turned around and left without even going That's into the hilarious. woods. And uh, yes, and we have we have plans. The same other the group of guys uh, to go the end of October. We're going to go to the same area. And I jokingly said to him, "This time I'm crossing the gate." So, <laughs> you guys, got to get yourself a thermo drone and do a flyover before you walk in to see if you find any yeah, uh, any bodies right. in there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we and we went. We went back to that area the original time, though. If you remember this, Hans, down below that swampy area, edge of the woods, there was a field, and we saw in one area there was a couple of huge stick structures, big X's. I still got the pictures from that. So I think they're in that spot. We know. Remember the area where we wound up uh, with Matt and those other guys at night further back in that park? I want to identify the park. but And it was like 1.30 in the morning. We heard those home run knocks and everything. There's a fish hatchery or something. Yeah. There. I think they're around there when they're in an area, Shane, uh, you know, I think they've been there a long time. You know, they're going to find a way to stay there, especially if they have sustenance. And I will speak just to the fish hatchery thing too, because I've done a, a lot of expeditions, a lot of places, Northern Georgia, uh, Tennessee, because I'm in Western North Carolina. When we get into areas where there's fish hatcheries, we have activity and I'm, you can bank on it when there's, cause these things always follow the, the waterways, they need water for sustenance, but I think they watch when the fish get emptied in, when the stocking takes place, and I think at night they get themselves in there and have themselves a feast, but they they are around fish hatcheries. I bank on it. I that activity. I could name place after place, and we always have activity in your fish hatcheries. Just to throw in another thing that goes along with that, too. I've uh, followed a few people that actually try to follow like the migration patterns and they say they line up pretty well with like the salmon runs and where where the salmon breeding grounds areas are because you know when all the salmon are done and they're exhausted and they just sit there and die off it's just they can probably just pick them right out of the water and they have endless meals (laughs) as long as they're breeding over there. (laughs) So these things definitely are eating fish as a main source of food I think. Yep. Yeah I would agree with that and if you know they're as smart as everyone says and believes uh, why wouldn't they take advantage of that? I mean, yep. if they're struggling out in the woods to, 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 you know, satisfy their diet and they see an easy opportunity, I mean, they're going to take it. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. It's a, just a big lake, just full of endless fish. Sure. They can just sit on the edge and just grab them out yeah. by hand. Right. And a lot of those fish too, it's not like they're really dealing with predators inside the water. So they're, you know, they're just going to be sitting higher up. They're going to be sitting on the edges. Like they're not trying to hide. So it's probably even more obvious and easy for them to be able to catch these things because they don't really have that defense mechanism kicking in because of the type of ponds that they're in. Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, on the same show. I'm in Western North Carolina. So it's, I retired, moved down this area. It's active near the Pisgah National Forest. And I've been out on a you know, following up on some experiences or witness reports and, 
uh, getting to, getting to learn it. It's it's big. Pisgah National Forest is huge, but I've uh, been back in some areas, and I, I honestly, it's the same thing. I've had activity around horse camps, around fish hatcheries. One fish hatchery not too far. They closed it, aren't they? I can't figure out why they closed. It's huge, you know. And I don't. There's no reason why because they have active rivers around there for fly fishermen. So I don't know why it's closed. But I've got. <laughs> they don't know. Maybe I've got you know, pinpointing Bigfoot activity and reports all around that area. So, you know, I think where there's running water or waterfalls, bank on it. They're there. Where there's fish hatcheries or where there's food that they can, that's predictable year after year, bank on it. Nice. Another thing about Iowa, Northeast Iowa, we want to, I mean, there's crops everywhere. These things are notorious for, you know, getting a cache of crops, just taking the corn from the fields they want and taking it away. You know, because what happens? You, I've had reports with farmers seeing them in their cornfields, looking above the stalks that I've investigated. Uh, you know, I think they go where the food is and it's simple as that. They need water and they need food. You know, they go where the deer is. They go, you know, there's reports all the time of them around berries and other plants and things that they could eat that are wild in the woods. You know, that if you want to have a chance for an encounter or an experience around these, go where the food is in the woods or up where woods are up against farmland or where the deer, where the deer roam. You know, go to places like that and you get a chance. Hey, just a weird kind of off question that fits in with that too. I've heard a few people talk about it where they found like random fields full of like crops in the middle of the woods. And I mean, definitely it could just be somebody that just, you know, was trying to set up their own private stash of stuff. But from your experience, do you think that it, you know, it might be possible that these things are capable of agriculture and they actually might try to produce food for themselves in certain areas? I, you know, nobody's ever posed that to me. I, I don't know. What do you think, Oz? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it I speaks to the it's intelligence that. factor. I mean, th- theoretically, right. how intelligent uh, they could be. Because, <laughs> I mean, they're they're using tools in a way because they're throwing rocks. And, I mean, that's technically a tool. It's almost like their version of using a bow and arrow because they don't need that extra strength behind the pullback. They can just do it right with their arms. <laughs> Correct. And, you know... Uh, I guess I've, I, I've never even thought of that. And if, you know, like I said before, if they are as smart, you know, to evade, you know, capture, whatever, you know, if, if they're that cunning and smart, you know, who's to say you couldn't do that? I mean, yeah, it may not I, be so as obvious thing, too. They may not just all do it in one area. They might kind of spread it out also for the sake of trying to hide themselves. You know, you might just find some random corn stalks that are growing in the middle of the woods somewhere and there's like a handful of them right. spread out. I mean, they could be intelligent enough to purposely not do it in perfect rows like humans so they're not drawing attention to themselves. Right. <laughs> so a couple of things on that, you know, um, deer hunters will bait fields. You know, they'll bring corn out in the field. Sometimes the corn is milled and it's... Uh, you know, chopped up kernels, sometimes it's whole. I've had reports, I had one not too long ago here where uh, a guy was taking these uh, sacks of corn out into a field. He you know, parked at a trailhead and then he had to go through the woods to a field that he had corn. He was baiting for the deer and he threw the sacks on the ground and he was carrying them back because they were like 75 pounds and he came back and two 75 pound sacks had disappeared. You know, and he had heard activity when he came in, like knocks and whistles kind of thing, but he and he sort of was wondering, he reported this because he's convinced the Sasquatch picked the sacks up and took them away. You know, these things have got the ability, their, de- their dexterity is terrific. You know, I've got um, a couple of folks I mentioned earlier that have them 
have habituation situations and have them on their property. And some have almost daily interactions. I've tested this. We have. We've put everything out there from marbles to, you know, CDs to rubber figurines to erasers. You know, we've tried things that are, you know, tacky to the touch, things that are slick just to see what they will do and what they'll move. We've put them in everything from muffin tins to, you know, on little pegboards just to see what kind of dexterity they have. In other words, we're making sure that nothing could move it, uh, you know, a raccoon, a turkey, any of that kind of thing. And these things have the have an uncanny ability to pick up the smallest thing and be able to move it. Uh, you know, we've I've tested this for years now. <laughs> we've got data logs you wouldn't believe. These things have the ability to pick up the smallest item and move it or take it away and or bring it back and or move it and arrange it in a pattern. And they do arrange things in patterns. I can't figure it all the time. You put four things together. I don't know, stand in the woods where you have these things in your property, you put four rocks together, they will always separate it into three and one. I could test that. Uh, it, there's a lot of discussion about this. I've tested it. I've seen it. They do it all the time. I don't know what that means. But they've got the ability and they have the ability to use their hands. I think it's an opposable thumb to pick things up and move them, even the smallest objects. So could they use implements? Could they farm? Sure, why not? If they wanted to. There's been I've read reports of the them being observed around a fire where they've created fire. So, you know, if they're observing us and watching us and they have the ability and they could do it on their own or at night, why wouldn't they? I mean, if they're able to use fire too, that could even mean that they theoretically cook some of their meat too. Because I mean, other than sure. warmth, I mean that would be the other practical use. And if they're constantly observing people I mean, that could explain if they have the ability to do agriculture, they learn from possibly watching us in the first place. And same with cooking things. I mean, how many experiences do campers have where they start hearing noises happening around when they're sitting right. around the bonfire? I mean, how many times has a Sasquatch probably sat and observed somebody cooking something over a fire where eventually they were like, <laughs> you know, I kind of want to try that. Maybe maybe the food will taste a little bit better yeah. if we do that. There's a reason why all these humans do it every single time they go to eat something. <laughs> right, right. So well, I, I think, you know, we're, there, we're, enter, we're entertainment, but they also watch as they're opportunistic. I mean, they routinely are going into campsites and opening coolers and taking things, and we leave food out. We're messy and everything. So, you know, uh, bears bears will make a mess. Bear, they get blamed. Poor bears, they get blamed for everything. But, you know, black bear will get into stuff, and they're messy, you know, to take things away. Sasquatch don't. They're pretty neat. You know, they go in, take things, close the cooler up, leave, you know. So I think they have a knowledge uh, – you know, from watching, observing us for a long period of time. And I think they have abilities certainly beyond other wildlife. So, you know, they're using it. There's no question they're using it. I mean, that kind of reminds me of the, uh, are you guys familiar with the Natelecast? Yes, no. very much. Let's say I got one actually yeah. up back here behind my head. It's sitting right there. But for anybody that's yeah. not familiar with what that is, um, essentially what they did is they took a, like a pipe and they made it sticky on the inside because the intention was that they were trying to get hair samples. And then they put the Nutella on the inside thinking they're just going to put their arm in and grab the Nutella, get some hair stuck, and then they could just call it a day. But these things actually took the Nutella out, took a scoop of the Nutella, and then put the jar back inside the tube. And they ended up being able to cast handprints of Sasquatch off of this. But, I mean, that just shows how precise they are. They had this idea of leave stuff exactly where it was, assumably to, again, not draw attention to yourself. But, I mean, at the other end of it, too, I mean, there could definitely be scenarios, if they're intelligent enough, where they purposely will trash something so that people will think it's a bear. 
I mean, if there's known bears in the area, right. I mean, they're probably op- opportunistic and they'll take advantage of that and make a mess just so that it deters away from them and people just think it's a bear. <laughs> yeah, the Nutellicast is excellent because the fingerprints that you see in there, I think there's three, maybe in a thumb. You can see they're huge. The, the girth around the fingers that are in that are, are huge. That's kind of what's famous. There are a few other handprint type casts like that that are out there, actually. That they have. Um, I've tested out with peanut butter jars, these habituation sites, different things. They'll reach in, take stuff right out, leave the jar. They'll bite into the jar, spin the jar lid off, you know, and take it off. They'll take the jar lid off. I mean, there's other animals don't spin the jar lids off and take mm-hmm. the stuff out, you know. So, but they definitely do that. Uh, uh, so, I'll tell you one uh, quick story on the whole uh, what they can do and manipulate. I had a a case uh, when investigating in North Central Wisconsin, uh, actually Central Wisconsin, uh, years ago, because I had a lot of cases up there. But this guy had a farm, but he had a lot of raccoon problems. He had Bigfoot activity around there. Four generations on this farm knew of Bigfoot activity. The Native Americans told him, the family about it back in the late 1800s. This guy, he had a lot of stories. He broke into tears telling me this because he had, had to get it off his chest. He was well-known in the community, and he did, just didn't have any way to talk to him. I met with him. and uh, Anyway, long story short, he had a lot of raccoons. I don't know if you know what a raccoon trap is, but it's there's one of the ways they trap is they put a like a stake in the ground. Now, on a chain is like a metal tube, and they'll put something inside the tube, a bait for it. Marshmallows are used a lot. The raccoon will come along, reach inside the tube to get the marshmallow, put its paw in there. And it grabs like a Chinese finger sleeve. It'll grab right onto its arm and then trap it. So it's there. So the next day you go out and the, you know, the raccoon's got its paw stuck in there and it's how you shoot and kill a raccoon, take it away. You know, that's it. It's how you get rid of raccoons. That's what a trap looks like. They're inexpensive. They use them. This guy was placing two dozen or so of these around his property for raccoons at 88 some odd acres. The Bigfoots observed that, knew what was going on. And Basically, all I had to decide was, did they want to eat marshmallows or did they want to eat raccoon? Because what they would find <laughs> is they, the marshmallows, the marshmallows are gone from the traps, but the trap, nothing was stuck. So they were pulling the marshmallows out and eating it. Or he would find the arm of the raccoon stuck in the trap and a raccoon has been torn off and taken away repeatedly. So this is what they were doing. So that's smart. They observed it, figured out the trap. They were taking the food that they wanted. They were taking the bait. They were taking the raccoon that got stuck in there and taking it away for a meal. So, I, <laughs> you know, I, I think they're great observers, great learners. That just makes you wonder what the extent of what they could have observed and possibly do are. Because, I mean, a lot of the time people talk about all these weird sounds that they hear in the woods, like car door slamming, just not the normal, yep. typical Bigfoot sounds. And I think that that comes, again, from observing. And I think that they're doing it for a means of entertainment for themselves. Like they, you know, assumably like they mess with the humans just for a reaction, just for something to do. I mean, especially the juveniles, when you hear all these crazy stories about the juveniles, I mean, just like any teenager, of course they want to mess around. They want to troll people. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how they make those noises. You know, Hans, we've heard of crazy noises and you get out in the woods, it's hard to figure out what it is, uh, you know, and, they do. They, they'll do it, I think, to spin us around like a top two. I've heard the car door thing numerous occasions. I've heard uh, car alarms when there isn't a car within miles. You know, I've heard uh, metal like circular saw sounds way back in the woods. I mean, uh, babies crying, metal sounds, metal stops, like stop signs being hit with a rock. I don't know how they make these noises, but they do and they can. 
I mean, they have some type of crazy range because, I mean, you hear about like the samurai chatter, you hear the normal whoops, and I mean, they seem to be able to have vocalization abilities that are beyond the ability of humans. And I mean, even when you go on and go into like infrasound, for example, um, for anybody that thinks that sounds kind of crazy and woo woo, uh, there was something called like the Havana experiment where essentially they projected uh, like sound frequencies on people and a bunch of people ended up getting sick from the sound frequencies. So it's like, we, we know that it's possible that you can project certain frequencies and it'll in turn have negative effects on people. I mean, you can even see it just purely through music. Certain songs make you feel certain ways or able or make you feel right. certain ways. So, I mean, them having that ability doesn't seem that far off. I mean, it just shows again, like their possibility of like what their vocal range could be. And they can hit pitches that are way higher than humans and they're way lower than humans to the point where we may not even be able to audibly hear them, but they could have effects on us. Like I, I often wonder if this infrasound isn't necessarily like a, a lot of people think it's like some type of telepath telepathic thing. They project on people. I wonder if it's just a frequency that they're able to hit vocalizing that we can't even hear, but it does have some type of effect when it hits the body. <clears throat> Yeah, and you know, Hans, you when you got went back to that red gate, you know, maybe you were getting blasted with a little of this, but you know, you guys all feeling creeped out yeah. at the same time. Um, well, infrasound, you know, that that's really interesting because it does happen in nature. I mean, elephants, if I'm correct, elephants create infrasound. Um, so throwing that on Sasquatch for sure. I mean, I've, I've, <laughs> I know people, uh, I know people who have experienced it like Rick, uh, Lori, um, where they've been just a mess. Um, yep. and, and yeah, about, you know, being at the gate. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just think it, I don't know. It was just creepy. We'll see what yep. happens. Oh, in about four weeks, we'll see what happens. <laughs> you'll have to keep me posted on that because I'd love to hear what happens, of course, too. Even besides on the show, you'll have to shoot me a message and let me know oh, what happened. <laughs> I will. I will, for sure. I'm going to, well, I'll go there during the day uh, first to take some pictures to give you some visuals of what the area looks like. You should uh, definitely look in to see if somebody has some type of thermo. Because I feel like, especially at night, that's going to probably be a good friend of yours, especially if you have an experience close to that log throwing experience. If you have even just the thermo yeah. uh, um, binoculars, you'll at least be able to know how close these things are getting to you or if there is multiples, if you pick up multiple heat signatures. Right. Um, we both, uh, Matt, Matt has some and I have some and uh, Sean will be there and Eric will be there and Brant will be there. So we'll have a, a nice selection of stuff. And I think with if there if we can get five of us, you know, you get it, you get in a group of five, all of a sudden you're a little bit safer, you know, rather than yeah. just three of us. I, so yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd love to be there with. I think I'm out. I'm at a conference. I think when you guys are doing a Bigfoot conference, I think well, that weekend. But I'd love to be there with you. You know, I, equipment goes off. They foul equipment. Some of it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Batteries go dead. I was with a guy once had a cell phone that was down to 15%. We had activity around us and it charged. So it went back up to 100%. I've never heard that before. I've always heard the complete opposite. That's the first time I've ever heard that power actually got put back into a device. Yep. 
Same. Yep. So. Well, we, uh, I think on, on your show, the other time we talked, we talked about the experience that we had uh, where they mimicked uh, texting noise on a phone. Right. Yep. Did was, was that on your show, Shane? I don't think that was on my show. That, but did we th- talk about that? I mean, people definitely are able to do that, like people already. So, I mean, like if this thing has some type of crazy Volker range, we're not even possible of like... It's that it doesn't seem far off at all that they would completely have that ability to do that. Like, and that'd be like the perfect you know, troll for somebody because they see that people react every single time they hear one of those notifications. So, like, uh, if they want to draw the attention yep. elsewhere because they want to pass by or something, what yes, not a better yes. sound than to make like a cell phone notification, especially like a Facebook ping? Every well, single person in the group looks down because you can't change the <laughs> notification yep, and they can just walk exactly. right past the camp. <laughs> yep, yes, exactly. We were, uh, we were sitting. There's a group of like, I think four of us sitting in a, in a big open meadow with ferns, like, you know, three feet high. It was really cool. Surrounded by tall, tall trees. And we had, we had sat down. So, you know, you can't really see anything, just our heads. And Rick was texting someone that was in another group you know, to ask where they were or whatever. And he had the, the volume on his phone where it's the click, 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 click. And he'd do that and he'd stop and we'd sit there and all of a sudden click, 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 click. <laughs> exactly the same noise exactly. was coming from the dark trees. <laughs> it was like, what in the yeah. hell? You know, Whether, right I mean, and it, woods. Yes. And it wasn't, and, uh, you know, yeah. okay. Was gonna say, oh, it was, it was another group and they were just hiding. no, that that yeah. wasn't it. There was, there was no one over there. That was There's weird. Nobody there. We're it was weird, and we're so we do had activity around us. We had heard this other group was a half mile from us, and base camp. We were trying to the walkies weren't working, so no walkie. To, so we're, we resorted right. to phones, and I'm texting trying to between base camp and the other group because we had a like a ridge of mountain in between us, half mile between the groups. We had this huge howl. I mean, massive in between us. We knew we had activity Bigfoots between us. And the other group had some things going on, which that, that's another story. They actually saw a small one run through their group, uh, about four foot tall. But anyway, um, we're trying to text this group back and forth, click, click, click. And all of a sudden we hear it out of the woods adjacent to us, you know, and the lorry was there. And so, so we had a few of us sitting. We're like, what? Yeah. So do it again, Rick, test it. Yeah. So I'm testing it. And I'm doing, you know, I'm clicking out three at a time, five at a time, you know, just to see. And it's repeating exactly this, the number of them. So if I do three clicks, I get three clicks back. I do six clicks, I get six clicks back. And it's coming right out of the woods. It's clear. You can all hear it. I mean, you got multiple witnesses hearing it come right out of the woods right next to and, uh, Right. And uh, the, the sound level it was at sounded like it was Rick doing it right next to us. But it right. was coming from... 25 yards away it was it it was the weirdest it was the weirdest thing yep (laughs) they uh it's kind of a funny thing to think about too that they're mimicking that noise but i almost wonder if they're trying to do they they think that they're possibly trying to like communicate with you in some way shape or form because you hear about like the things with the multiple whoops and say there'll be like three people in a group and then they'll hear three whoops so there's a lot of people that theorize that they do the whoops in order to like communicate that though there's three people over here there's this over here right so i almost wonder if they took that as maybe your way of communicating that so they were almost trying to make extra sounds 
thinking that right. maybe they were making it seem like, oh, there's not eight people, there's 10 people, or they were trying to communicate it back that there was like more of them or something like that on purpose, trying to lure you guys away a bit. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, I, I, I never thought of that, uh, that aspect of it, but because yeah, they, I always just thought Rick was messing around on his cell phone and they, <laughs> um, but uh, it maybe because yeah, they didn't distinguish that between us trying to make a wood knock or uh, rock clack or something like that. And they thought, Oh, that's what people do. So let's imitate it to communicate. Right. I mean, for all they know too, I mean, we kind of hear them make multiple different types of sounds like the whoops and the samurai chatter, all that kind of different stuff. So, I mean, they associate phones with people because people always have their phones on them. So, I mean, at least from like their observing standpoint, I mean, they could, cons they could even consider that or possibly think it's a different area of our vocal range that we're actually vocalizing their notification sounds rather than it coming from a device in our pockets, especially if they don't really have an understanding of like a device in your pocket in the first place. They just know it's a sound that's associated with humans. Every time they see them, some type of right. weird mechanical buzz or ting or whatever. Yeah. It's a, a really, interesting way to look at it because they only hear that coming from the direction of a person. Mm -hmm. They don't know that right. it's technology that's making they, I, they would probably think that that is a noise we're making. Interesting. Like I said, it could be their yeah, way of but, communicating you know, back. <laughs> it could be their way. It could be their way. You know, and you said deflection before Shane, I think that's a big part of it. That's always on their mind. Um, but we go out equipped with, you know, IR, um, night vision, we've got walkie talkies, we've got, you know, multiple things on us, cell phones, you know, sensors, we're, we're emitting electrical energy or have a lot of batteries going red headlamps, all that sort of thing, flashlights. We are walking, walking around with a lot of stored energy and we're giving off electrical energy, magnetic, if they have, I wonder what we look like to them. They may look at us and it might seem like an aura all around us and a bunch of energy that's just there. And if they can grab onto it and use it, I think they take it and they use it. Uh, I don't know what they sense or what registers with them, especially at night in the woods when we're out there. But, uh, you know, if they want to grab it and take a hold of it and use it or uh, deplete it, they have an ability to ma manipulate energy and they do have an ability to mimic any kind of sound, any kind of noise we make. So, you know, they've got abilities beyond us. I wonder why they have those, why they adapted them. It's not just to make us feel weird in the woods. They use them just like they use their, you know, their night glow or night eye glow, night vision. They use all that stuff for reasons and have all that for reasons. So, you know, whatever purpose they're on this earth for, they've adapted and used those things or had those things for some reason at some point. They still have them and they got abilities beyond us. And that's not being paranormal or woo. They have abilities beyond ours i mean even another way of looking at it though is i mean every adaptation is caused because of something that there's a necessity for it and being humans right. anytime we have a need for something we create some type of new technology in order to counteract right. that so it's like we're right. completely technologically based like we don't have any new adaptations nothing like that because we just create a new piece of technology something that lives in the woods and doesn't have all that kind of stuff like it makes right. you wonder like how far advanced humans could theoretically be physically if it wasn't for technology, because yeah. th there would be an adaptation that would have to develop because there'd be a need for it. If there wasn't the technology, like who knows, like how close we could actually be to these things or how close they actually are to us because of that. Again, that technology divide between us. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's some deep thought right there, Hans. You know, I mean, but it's true. You know, we are dependent. We've lost abilities to do things over the years. So calcification, you know, you talk about that, what is that, your chakra and your fifth eye and all that kind of thing. But, you know, we've lost some ability to do stuff. Um, They maybe have gained it or had it. So, but they definitely have abilities we don't have. And you got to be careful with that. You can't, we have a tendency to think we can militarize and pull out technology and be a superior to things in the woods. And I think that's wrong. <laughs> technology can only get you so far. Sometimes you need some physical inaptabilities that are built into your body in order to get stuff done. Cause I mean, realistically, you know, we develop all of these different machines to try to do stuff for us, but 90% of the time, most things are just better if they're done by hand. I mean, of course, you know, you need some basic tools to do certain things, but, you know, if you have like a machine that's, you know, cutting pages versus a person that's cutting pages, you know, the person cutting pages, those pages are going to be a lot better aligned versus the machine that's just throwing them through it. (laughs) Right, right. So I know that you guys said you only have about an hour or so. Um, so before we get out of here, I got to, of course, uh, bring up the the experience you guys had where you guys came up with the name for I Know Squash. And I feel like that might be a good leeway into, you know, sharing all your guys' links and letting everybody know where they can come and find all your guys' awesome gear. Well, that's going to be another hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> um, since I told that other one, Rick, you can uh, start with the story. Well, uh, the to your point, I mean... You know, to your point, there's a couple of times, I mean, when, you know, I think without, you know, just truncating or abbreviating everything, it is probably worth other stories, but we've had, we've had some, a couple of occasions early on, and I'm going back 10 years or so where we had, uh, we looked at each other after getting back, you know, three or four in the morning and say, I know this thing is real. Uh, there was another situation in Iowa. I remember going to breakfast the next day with Hans going, you know, we know this thing is real. Um, and then the one up in the UP that we talk a lot about, you know, that's a story in itself. But, uh, you know, we went back with a bunch of investigators again next day and found evidence. You know, we found footprints in the, in the area and uh, grass pushed down where these things were. We had recorded the vocalizations they did the night before. I mean, we knew. So, not to, again, not to abbreviate, it's worth a story in itself sometime, but uh, maybe another podcast or something. But we knew. I mean, we knew. We had convinced ourselves, had enough evidence, you know, that these things are real. And uh, looking at each other in the eye next day going, these things are real. I mean, there's no doubt to it. <laughs> that, you know, that's something. Um, and I, I've, t- I've had multiple experiences. I know these things are real, Shane, at this point. You know, I don't, I'm not out trying to prove it. Or, you know, is this a random primate running around? No, I know this thing is real. I don't know what it is. We're a bunch of amateur researchers. And we run into these things in the woods. What the hell? You know, there must be a lot of them. So. I mean, just we to even cannot. throw more into what you were saying, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listen to podcasters and they assume that a lot of us don't get out in the field and we're just kind of collecting and sharing the stories. Uh, since last time I've talked to you guys, I've actually been actively going out in the field and actually trying to see these things for myself. And I haven't actually got visuals on anything yet, but I've definitely come across a lot of really off the wall footprints. Like one of the prime examples that I could talk about is this one time we went out and we were trailing along the side of this, uh, this river and we didn't find anything on the way there. And then we came back, there was nobody there. It was just me and one other guy. And there was a bare footprint that was fresh into the mud where it started to slide into the river. Then you saw a footprint in the middle of the river and then they disappeared after that. But the footprint was definitely a bare foot because you could see the individual toe marks in it. 
And when we measured it, it was about a, I think it was 15 or 16 inches. So again, it's like, it doesn't make any sense for that to be anything else, but unless there's some giant guy running around the woods barefoot at three o'clock in the morning, like (laughs) it doesn't make sense any other way, you know? (laughs) Well, Shane, I think you wanted us to go into the story about uh, the sing songy stuff, but we'll do, we'll leave that as a teaser. There you go. (laughs) And everyone come back for the second installment of Hans and Rick from I Know Squatch. I'm always happy to have any excuse to have you guys come back on. I love talking Uh, to both of you guys. (laughs) Uh, Hey, let me ask you one thing about that footprint real quick, because not to, I I was with a group that had the same experience, believe it or not, in a wet afternoon in the woods in the Smokies. And one of these things put a footprint right in the middle of the trail we had just come, it wasn't there in a way in and a way back. It was right next to one of our footprints. And I mean, I could send you the picture. You could see all the toes, the whole thing. So that was, so the trail where you saw that in a way back, had you already traversed that trail and were coming back yep. and, and saw the footprint? Yep. Cause we okay. went to there so, looking for a footprint, didn't find anything. And then on the way back, we found the perfect footprints right where we were. But again, there were yep. barefoot footprints and bigger than our feet and we're wearing boots. So of course, you know, barefoot's pretty obvious. <laughs> Okay, so I've talked to some military folks about that since that this happened. And they said it's very common for the military, especially when they're in an area, they're surrounding an area, they have to get into to leave something overt to let the enemy know they're there, but then stay secluded. So they're still on the watch. So they still maintain the predator or the superiority, but they've shown they, those that they're about to attack or those that they're monitoring and watching, Hey, I'm really here and you can't do anything about it kind of thing. So that's a mind game. <laughs> According to the guys I talked to, the ex-military guys, it's a mind game thing they're doing with us. I mean, they didn't have to leave that footprint there and cross the Creek or the river where you were. Right. And, but they did it because they knew you were coming back on it to see that, Hey, we know you're there and you're watching us, but I'm really in charge kind of thing. So <laughs> it's a mind game thing. It completely would make sense too. Cause like I said, it was, like a slid footprint right on the edge of the water. There was one right in the middle of it. And then they just disappeared after that. So whatever it did, it, it was intentionally doing it because otherwise there would have been a whole trail of footprints going all the way across the mud. So I think it purposely did these two close footprints because they were probably only like foot and a half, two feet from each other, which seems like a very close, very close steps for a Sasquatch, especially considering their height and how the distance would be between their legs. I, I definitely took it as it was intentionally placed there. And I think that most Sasquatch prints are intentionally placed where they are because these things clearly have the ability to move around and not leave a trace. So I've often wondered if they'll intentionally like leave footprints going in one direction because they're in the other direction and they're intending for you to follow the footprints this way, but they're actually that way. So next time I go out, I'm going to have to try this. Next time I find footprints, rather than following the footprints, I'm going to go the opposite direction of the footprints. (laughs) (laughs) Sneak up on one. That's good. Send me, if you got a picture of it, send it to me. I'd like to see it. I'll send you the one I was talking about. From uh, You can take a look at it. You'll see. It's right next to a footprint from a boot uh, we made on the way in. Oh, per- I was already planning on sending it to you. I just got to dig it out of my phone, and I'll, uh, I'll send it to you right after we finish right. up. I'll, I'll, do, I'll, do the sa- I'll do the same thing. I'd like to see it as well, Shane. Oh, yeah. I'll send it to both you guys. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'd love to see it. I'll actually, I'll email it back to you guys so you guys can both get it quick and yep. easy. Nice. Yep. Do the same. I'll do the same thing, Hans. You can see the other one. Okay, cool. 
So uh, before we start closing up here, I always like to do words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So, I mean, if you both of you guys want to do it or just one of you guys, I mean, something funny, something serious pertaining to the conversation, uh, any words of wisdom, what would you like to uh, leave the listeners on? Han, do you want to go first? You always uh, have deep thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> you do. Um, You're a creative guy. I would say, uh, God, you put me on the spot. Um, look, look for I know Squatch on Etsy, and uh, check us out on Instagram. We're always trying to post interesting stuff, interesting stories, um, and everyone come back for part two. And I might even have a story about uh, the Red Gate. Cross my fingers. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I'll, I'll give you just a couple of thoughts because um, I get asked this sometimes when I speak in front of groups. You know, I always tell people everything in the woods is not a Bigfoot. Okay, you know, you got to keep a healthy skeptic mind because all, all of a sudden you're going to think everything out there is, and it's a squirrel. This time of year, it's acorns dropping out of a tree. You know, keep, I think you got to keep an open mind, but yeah, because you never know what it could be. But everything out there is not squatch, so don't get yourself into that mindset. Um, and just assume that they're going to see you or know you're there before you know they are. So especially when you're out, Shane, doing what you're doing now, you know, I tell us to hunters too, just assume they're there. <laughs> doesn't mean they are, but they're going to know you're there before you know they're there, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I think you've got to be a healthy skeptic. You've got to be careful. This isn't a big fuzzy bear walking around in the woods, you know, stuffed animal kind of thing. You know, these things have their own way of doing things and there's never one of them and you got to be careful when you're out. But you know, everything out there is not a squatch, but it could be as a way to, as a good, healthy way to approach this in the woods. I like the way you say that, actually. Not everything could be, but it may be. <laughs> it might be. Perfectly placed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everything everything is not. You got to just say, everything out here is not. Every noise I hear, everything that falls out of a tree is not a squatch. But keep it, it, it could be, you know, <laughs> because you got to keep, you got to, I mean, you really have to have eyes in the back of your head when you do this. So you definitely got to pay attention to sounds too, like specifically with rock throwing, you know, people will hear it bow up and over. And that's when you know somebody or something is throwing something at you versus hearing the sound come straight down and hitting leaves. Like it's a totally different sound and you can pick up on it if you pay attention. So, I mean, roundabout way when you're in the woods, whether it's an animal, whether it's a squatch, whether it's anything. Always make sure that you're alert and paying attention. That's probably the safest words of wisdom I could possibly throw on this one too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and and uh, and you know, Native Americans always say treat the, treat the woods and the creatures in the woods with respect. And I think you need to go at it with respect and uh, keep that in, in your mind if you're out there. You know, they live there; you're in their living room. So you know, go at it with it from a respect standpoint. You know, not a, ex, the shows expedition Bigfoot that's on down there. They're running around white flashlights, lighting up the woods at night, making a I mean, they need to have a little bit of respect for these creatures. And I think you know, more hunting, you do it better. I've heard a lot of people talk about using red lights now. So, I mean, just to throw that one out in the ether, anybody that's looking to go squatching at night, just an idea. Start using red lights. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we do all the time. All the time. You have a red headline, red headlamp on. I mean, it, honestly, it's uh, not a requirement, but it's a suggestion uh, when you go on a BFRO outing, they don't want white lights in the woods. So you get one that has the red and you can see 
There you go. I'll say he's already got his already ready and prepared. <laughs> I'm, char- I'm charging it. <laughs> but yeah, you gotta you gotta go red, you know. And again, that's a respect thing, I think. So uh also with that, of course, uh for anybody that enjoyed the show. Obviously, they're going to come back for part two, because why wouldn't they? This has been a great conversation. (laughs) But if anybody wants to uh, go and pick up some of your guys' gear in the process or just be able to follow your pages and see what you guys are doing, uh, where where can everybody find all your guys and all your information at? On uh, Instagram, we're the most active. Also on Facebook. And there's a link in the bio uh, to shop on Etsy. And then Rick... Uh, attends festivals like he was saying that and Rick's located in the southeast part of the U.S. and he hits all the festivals in Tennessee, Virginia, Kentucky, North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Florida. If you're in the southeast and you're going to a festival and it's like wild man days or whatever. Yeah. I know squats will be there. (laughs) Yeah, we'll be there. Well, I appreciate you guys making the time to come on today. And I already appreciate you guys saying that you guys are down to do a round two. And uh, again, thanks for making the time to come on. It's been great. And I'm looking forward to next time. All right. Nice chat. Thanks for having us. Nice chatting with you, Shane. Enjoyed it. Definitely. If you guys enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it with friends through word of mouth or simply sharing the link to the show with that friend, of course. And if you guys haven't already reviewed or rated the show on iTunes or Spotify, Definitely appreciate it if you would. And if you guys leave five-star reviews, leave some type of comment, something over there, then, of course, I will read on the show, give you guys a shout-out, and all of those will make it so the show can continue to progress, makes it so more people are able to see the show, helps out the algorithm a bit. So anything you guys do is always more than appreciated. And if you guys want to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, be it you're an artist and you want to contribute stuff to the show, uh, maybe you have some type of cryptid, alien, or paranormal-related brand that you want to possibly advertise on the show, um, or you want to be a guest on the show, or you just want to talk in general, don't be afraid to get a hold of me. You guys can always do that through Instagram, which is the form of social media that I'm the most active on, or you guys can email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast.outlook.com or go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. And as I say on every single episode, I do respond to every single message I get from you guys. So make sure you guys check your spam or junk folders. Make sure nothing gets missed in the process because stuff does tend to push that way. And I wish there was a way I could fix it. But unfortunately, these are the cards that I've been given and it's what I got to deal with. So make sure nothing gets missed. You you guys got to do the footwork. Make sure that you guys check your spam or junk folders over there. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available down in the show description off of the link tree. Or if you don't want to go and click that, you want to type it in as I say it, it's L-I-N-K-T-R period E slash inquiries of our reality podcast. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the show and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.